Welcome to episode 168 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we're back this week with some more Justice League. Uh, a couple of fun episodes, actually. I, I wasn't expecting to like uh, episodes featuring Gorilla Grodd and Gorilla City, but I quite did. How, how could you not love Gorilla City? <laughs> DC I... loves their Gorilla characters <laughs> so much. We have Gorilla Grodd. We have Minsu Amala. We have Ultra Humanite. <laughs> and we have others. <laughs> there are so yes. many to pick from. So many others. I I don't think I've seen this episode maybe since it aired, you know, almost like 20 years ago now at this point. And I don't know, to me, it was like it going into it. I thought they were going to be really, really silly. So I was kind of like, oh, OK, fine, we'll get through these. And especially since I haven't really loved a lot of the episodes so far. I was like, this is going to mm-hmm. suck. These are the most fun episodes that we've had yet since we yeah, started doing this show. It's a Flash episode. It's the first yeah, time we get Flash to focus episode. on Flash. Yeah, so, no, I was uh, actually had a lot of fun with these, so we'll get to that. But first, uh, a little bit of news, I guess relatively quiet news week in terms of, um, you know, the, the entertainment news we cover on the podcast. Yeah, you know, the thing we always say and then end up padding it out to 26 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> let's see if we can do our best and cut in under 26 minutes this time. Uh, but let's start things off with some soul. Some jazz, some life, some soul. Oh, the, the movie. The movie, yes. Not, not, not that inner funk. No. Uh, I don't know. What do you, how do you feel about this soul going up on Disney Plus now? I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I, I think it makes sense. They also moved it from a Thanksgiving release to a Christmas release. It's now coming out on December 25th, exclusively mm-hmm. on Disney Plus. Uh, and not behind their like premier exclusive. It is free for all Disney Plus users. Yeah, I, I think that was a failed experiment at this point. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and I, I think it's great. You know, we 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 joked about last week uh, Thanksgiving being a time when you just need to like fill space between meals, and that's what movies <laughs> are for. But no, Chris, I think Christmas is is a great is a great time to drop because it's the exact same situation. You, it, you're with family. Uh, after you have, <clears throat> after you open your presents and have your food, you kind of have that lull between the, like the big breakfast to lunch and then the dinner. Mm-hmm. And that's the perfect time to go see a movie. Obviously there's all the jokes about the, the other cultures and people who don't celebrate Christmas just have like a field day on Christmas. Cause everyone's inside doing their own thing. And like the city <laughs> is theirs. Uh, not this year though. <laughs> Well, not maybe this, this year. year. Who, who knows? Who knows? I mean, everyone should be inside. <laughs> God, we would hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I don't know. It's, I guess, a little bit disappointing that it's not getting a theatrical release, um, just given the, you know, the, the talent involved in it, kind of like um, behind the camera, as it were, and in terms of the voice performances, that they're not getting like the, uh, the the buzz and the hype and the, you know, the box office results to come from that, which might be a little bit disappointing. But I also think that with Pixar, this was one of their movies that was like a for them kind of movie. Like not to oh, say that Pixar, yes. like as a blanket reality does like the one for me, one for them sort of thing. But like, I, I think they make something like Cars 3 knowing that it's going to make a shitload of money. And they make something like Soul knowing that it's going to get them like the critical acclaim. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know if this was ever really destined to be a huge box office success beyond just the general, you know, success you get from a new Pixar film. Um, but I mean, look, I'm I'm happy that it's this movie we get to see. You know, I, I think it's it's 
good timing on their part to put it out on Christmas. Like you said, it's a it's a good day to spend with family watching a, a delightful, I'm sure, mm-hmm. inevitably heartbreaking Disney film. So well, and also from like a marketing standpoint, having you know exactly just like you said, having a new movie is very rare, and so. I'm sure that we're going to see, you know, starting around Thanksgiving, we're going to see a bunch of bundles start going up of like, hey, give the gift of movies for Christmas. Give the yep. gift, you know, like that you're definitely going to see this movie bundled in with Christmas ties now. Yeah. Of like this is the gift to give people. It's like you get to give them the cinema experience they've been missing for 12 months now, nine months now. Yeah. Give them the gift of Disney Plus. Yeah. Which it's like, yes, please. Except everyone on my family uses my account, so they can't give well, it to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, same, but also like, I mean, you know, we, we we do love to just like throw cynicism at Disney, but I have to admit, like, of all the streaming platforms, it's probably the one I've watched the most during lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. I'm yeah. going through my my Halloween decoms this week. Oh, of course you are. It's been of lovely. course you are. <laughs> Yeah, I was rewatching some Marvel stuff this week, and of course, I'm still watching DuckTales. So it's like at this point, I basically just watch Disney Plus. So, yeah, forget about and it's the rest still of great. them. How far are you into DuckTales? Uh, only just a little bit into season two at this point. Okay, okay. So yeah, I, so I went on like a, a Marvel movie binge this week instead, um, which was just you know th- those are great movies just put on in the background. My God, they are. Yeah, I, I did Civil War, Black Panther, Infinity War, and Endgame in the span of like two days. Okay, <laughs> I, I've been doing a very, very slow crawl through the MCU because uh, two of my friends and their or my friends have seen it, but they have two roommates who haven't seen it, mm-hmm. any of the MCU films. And so we started when quarantine st- started and we've been doing kind of like one every two to three weeks. Okay, yeah, that's a good, uh, good way to pad it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So we, we just finished Strange. So we have... <sighs> two more until they have to deal with infinity war and then i'm gonna stretch it out as long as i can where they have to suffer for a year like we did oh infinity war is great though they'll have a fun time it is yeah um all right so in terms of other stuff that happened this week uh we got some more news on the green lantern hbo max series um we did now i'm very excited yeah, this was kind of interesting. So we got confirmation that uh, Greg Berlanti's going to be producing it, which I think we already knew that. Um, but then also Seth uh, Graham Smith and Mark Guggenheim are going to be co-writing the first episode. And I think Seth Graham Smith is going to be show running. Um, mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing in all this was that it will not feature Hal Jordan, John Stewart, or Kyle Rayner, at least for now. But instead, it's going to be focused on Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, and Alan Scott. Um, with uh, Kilowog and Sinestro making some appearances as well. Now, Cameron, as the the Green Lantern fan amongst the two of us, the big fan, uh, also <laughs> on, a, on a slight tangent, I've been reading some more uh, comics on DC Universe, and I just noticed for the first time that you had a whole playlist, like a whole comics reading list <laughs> called Shut Up Chris. What is it? Shut Up Chris. Like, I do know about Green Lantern. <laughs> Uh, I think I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very impressed by that. Uh, but as our self-proclaimed Green Lantern yes. expert, how do you feel about this? Uh, who they're choosing to focus on? Uh, I love it. I think mm-hmm. I think it's going to be great having a different set of characters to, to fo- uh, because basically that this is what Tales of the Green Lantern are or Tales of the Core is. Mm-hmm. Um, is you, you follow everybody else. 
Okay. And so I'm excited to see like if it's going to be this anthology series where like every episode is going to be a different lantern. We're going to follow like um, Salzar, you know, giving out missions to people and his frustration with Guy, Guy trying to go on vacation, but he can't because the the guardians don't give vacation time. Right. Kilowog <laughs> training new recruits, following mm-hmm. Tomar two and and you know Sector two eight one five. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get a Mogo episode because everyone loves a good Mogo episode. <laughs> uh, I think, I think there's like so much opera, you know, the Green Lantern universe spans the entire universe. So yeah. There's so much opportunity for things. I'm sure we're going to have Manhunters in there. I'm mm-hmm. sure gonna, they're going to be the main villain. No, Sinestro's going to be, Sinestro's going to be the main villain. Well, um, if he's a villain, he might still be a member of the Green Lantern Corps during all yes. this. Yes. We don't know. Yeah, but that I feel like that storyline is done so much. Yeah, but like and by that only... I mean they used it in the movie once. Yeah, exactly. Like they used <laughs> it in the movie that no one saw or still remembers, so they can probably get away with rehashing it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm excited. It, yeah, no, I I think this is good. I I think this will. Um, like add a little depth and texture to the universe and allow us to kind of do you know, tangent characters and smaller stories. And, you know, I mean, clearly they're also saving like the, the big three for a potential movie down the line, Mm -hmm. which is not too surprising there. Um, But I mean, this is great. The idea of being able to get, you know, um, live action, big budget, you know, scaled up Green Lantern stories. um, That's just exciting in of itself, you know, And, and this might work better in TV in some ways than, than movies at this point. Like, I feel like the major studios are now realizing they have a platform to do it that, hey, you know what? Maybe comic stories work better when they can be serialized than when they're like crammed yeah, into like two and a half comic. hours. <laughs> yes. Well, because that, that ultimately becomes the, the challenge with doing so many comic book movies is scale, right? You like mm-hmm. have to have it be like this huge thing every time you put out a movie, it has to feel like justified to be on that sort of like scale and budget. Um, and sometimes the most interesting stories aren't at that level. So I'm, I'm super excited about this. I hope it's good. I mean, I, interesting choices in terms of um, who they're bringing on board. Like no surprise that they have Mark Guggenheim because he's been responsible for a huge amount of the, the Arrowverse along with Greg Berlanti. Um, Seth Graham Smith is kind of an interesting one. Like he did Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter and the Lego Batman movie. But mm-hmm. I feel like he doesn't. I can't and think and of don't anything. forget the the tangential story of Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> yes, that's true. Lest we forget Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I, I don't know. I feel like he doesn't necessarily have um, like a a really big project that's been like, oh yeah, like this guy really knows what he's doing. Um, let me look at his stuff here, though. So he had uh, he had a series on MTV a, a couple years ago. And it was a very weird series, but it was like very charming for how weird the premise was. What it was, was called the... the Hard Life of R.J. Berger? Okay, yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb right now. I don't really know much about this. What is that? The, uh, sorry, the Hard Times of R.J. Berger. Um, it is about a nerdy high schooler kid um, who gets pantsed at his first high school party, and everyone realizes everyone realizes that he has a really big dick. <laughs> and it's his rise from rise to popularity because he has a big penis. 
Oh, I, this does now sound kind of vaguely familiar. I've I've talked about it before. It is <laughs> a very weird show, but it is like it shouldn't be charming for this. Okay, but it is it is very very fun. Did you watch it when it aired? I watched the first season when it aired, and I think they got two or three seasons out of it. Okay, I wonder how well it holds up. Probably not. Pro- I- <laughs> If I were to hazard a guess, given that concept, probably not very well. Um, yes. But I am I am mildly intrigued by that, and not just because you mentioned a big dick, but because that concept actually does sound kind of funny. So, mm-hmm. hmm, okay. Might check that out. But, I mean, yes. look, who knows? Hopefully, you know, this will end up being something really great. I, I will say that uh, sometimes I feel like Warner Brothers tends to... Um, not take risks with their creatives. Like, I think it's a great thing that Marvel does is like, they'll pull like unexpected talent in behind the camera that really like brings something interesting to the project. Whereas more mm-hmm. brothers oftentimes will just pick someone they've worked with before. Um, even if that person like doesn't necessarily have something interesting to say about the property. So like, I'm, I'm hoping this is good. I really am. Um, yeah. And I'm like, he, he also does have Lego Batman under his belt, as you mentioned, and that yeah. like, we both loved Lego Batman. Yes, this is true. And, and it, it kind of did a great balance of the common knowledge of Batman while also hiding in all those Easter eggs for the for the crazy fans. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm also going to throw out there that there were a lot of writers on Lego Batman. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, One of the writers. Yes. So I, I don't know why I'm going very cynical here towards the towards this. But hey, you because, know what? Because it's DC. Because it's DC. That's it. At the end of the day, it's because it's DC. That's why I'm so fucking cynical. Yes. Uh, uh, so I was also looking into into Mark Guggen before this, and obviously Guggenheim. he has the yeah Mark Guggenheim. Is it Guggenheim? Yeah. Oh, I don't know why I wrote Mark Guggen in here. Uh, who knows? Um, he goes by so the like Googs. So yeah, Mark Googs. Mm-hmm. MC Googs. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously he has all of the the arrow all the others who worked on Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Legends. Uh, but Chris, did you know that he also wrote the video game version of X-Men Origins Wolverine? Great. Good on him. Yes. I've heard it's actually be- like much better than the movie, which is not hard to do. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like people say that... that's like one of the better X-Men games. Oh, okay. Like the funny thing is like that can happen sometimes because, uh, you know, like any sort of like video game or like tie-in novel or like action figures and stuff are often based on like really early versions when it's like a good script before it's been like absolutely tortured to death by the studio execs and like fucked up in the edit. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that happens like that. Yeah. Like that was uh, like one thing that was talked about this week was David Ayer um, basically said that like most of his version of suicide squad is in the novelization, <laughs> which kind of makes sense. So I'm sure a lot of people are buying that now. I won't, but Hey, someone <laughs> will. Well, it's like, I, I'm sure I've told this story before. Do you know the story about Weird Al writing The Saga Begins back in the 90s? I don't know if I do know that story. I know the song, so, obviously. Oh, uh, yes. Weird Al tried to get, um, he, he tried to get George Lucas's approval for the song as early as possible. And he's like requesting scripts and requesting to be on set. So he could, because like, he wanted to put it out like the week of the movie. Mm-hmm. And George Lucas said no at every turn. And so in the early days of the internet, Weird Al went to the, the fan forums and went to the, the internet 
and basically just asked fans like, hey, you guys know what's going on. Tell me what this movie is about. And the entire song is purely written on fan speculation on the movie. Really? And that's how it came out so quickly after the film. <laughs> was he had never he had not actually seen the movie before writing that song. And it that's is still incredible. so accurate, which is crazy to know like that the fans knew that much before it even came out. Well, it was uh definitely aided by the fact that the the soundtrack titles revealed Qui-Gon's death. That is true. Yeah. Yes. When you have two track titles, one Qui-Gon's Noble End, the other one Qui-Gon's Funeral, it's well, a good like, We indication. don't know if, the, if that came out when he was writing that song. I'm not sure when that came out, but it did come out prior to the movie being released. Okay, um, okay. Then he, yeah, he might have had I feel had like that. there was like some books and stuff that came out, too, that revealed that. Like I remember as a kid knowing that Qui-Gon died before I went and saw the movie. Because like, okay. it was everywhere. But that probably helped. But that's still it's like crazy that he basically just like, you know, piecemeal together what was going to happen in the movie and made it work. Yeah. So and made one of his best songs. One of his best songs. God, what a what a fucking genius, Weird Al. I know that guy. He's he's too good for us. He really is. Uh, he's better than we deserve. Him and dogs. We don't deserve either of them. Um, all right, and then so one last thing here. We got our first look at uh, the Modoc series coming to Hulu. So for those of you who don't know, Modoc is a character from the Marvel comics. He's the guy who like is the massive head floating around in the the weird chair thing. Um, mm-hmm. Also, Gabriel, do you know what Modoc stands for? Uh, man on deck over kids. Yep. That was the that was the original pitch, and they realized no, no. Instead, let's go for mobile organism designed only for killing. <laughs> Damn it! I should have said killing. That's which the is fantastic. Uh, but so this is going to be starring Patton Oswalt as the voice of Modok, which is a perfect, perfect casting uh, to my mind. Um, but the the amazing thing is, it's actually going to be stop motion, which I didn't realize. I just assumed it was animated, and we got our first look at the stop motion, and it looks amazing. Do we know what studio is working on it? Is it Stupid Monkey? Uh, it, oh, that's a good question. It might be. It certainly looks like it could be in their style. Um, but because I, uh, like Hulu already had Crossing Swords, which was part of that that world already. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it is. So it, yeah. By by the way, of Robot Chicken. Yep. Okay. I mean, then okay. I have very high hopes for this then because they they really know their stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, this, and that's such a good just, partnership. Yeah, that is. It, it, I think stupid it like buddy, tonally, it's the, the the perfect choice here because like it is a really weird, ridiculous character. So to go down the route of it being like really over the top and making it stop motion and giving that weird like fun, goofy texture, I think is absolutely perfect. Absolutely, and it, it's also going to be R rated, like uh, Crossing Swords is. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's also going to, ha- so it's like Modoc living his normal family life. And so it's got um, Amy Garcia, who's one of the supporting members of Lucifer as his wife, Jody, And then the great Ben Schwartz, AKA Dewey Duck as his son, Lou. And then Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine as the daughter, um, also named Melissa, who she also looks like her dad. And this just looks, uh, literally it's just three pictures, but I'm super excited for it just off of that alone. And the cast and the creatives. Amazing. I mean, anything with Ben Schwartz is, is very on on board yeah i mean i i think 
even though, like these two back-to-back pieces of news here in terms of, like comparing Green Lantern to Marvel, it does at the end of the day kind of show why Marvel is just finding in general more success. Because like I think anyone who's a fan of Green Lantern as we are is excited just that we're getting a Green Lantern property. I don't know or give a shit at all about MODOK, but I'm excited for it because it looks fun and different and interesting. And I think Marvel's did, super good about that. Yeah. Did, did you ever watch the Green Lantern series from a couple of years ago? Oh, the animated series? No, I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. It, it is ugly, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I do know that. <laughs> Which was the hardest part for me to get into it. But it, it is a, like a genuinely good series. And I think it was cut short. It was, it was supposed yeah. to be three seasons and only got two. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Um, mm-hmm. should, I don't know cover it at some point i guess i recommend it because it also like it goes into my favorite part of the modern green lantern which is like it it follows a couple different cores so you mm-hmm. have uh how so i to the main character but then you have a red lantern come in and then the blue lanterns kind of come in and out and like the dynamic between red and blue is is one of my favorite in the green lantern stories hmm. okay yeah i mean i think it's still up on dc universe um for as long as that continues to exist so i'll have to check it out so mm-hmm all right. Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and move on to uh, our episodes this week, The Brave and the Bold, parts one and two. Uh, so like I said, this is the introduction of Gorilla City and the great Gorilla Grodd. Um, and so this sees Green Lantern and Flash uncover a plot by Grodd, who's uh, an intelligent talking gorilla, to destroy Gorilla City, a hidden city of hyper-intelligent gorillas in Africa. Um, Grodd uses his mind control technology to get humans, including the Flash, to steal nuclear isotopes that will power a reactor that will shield Central City, cutting off the rest of the world and allowing Grodd to rule. Um, like I said, I had a lot of fun with this. I think partly because it also basically served as our kind of Flash-centric slash origin episode. Yeah, we got an, an exact origin as long as an origin should take. It was seven <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Yeah, because when, um, you know, so basically like Green Lantern and Flash are trying to investigate, um, someone keeps trying to steal these nuclear isotopes, right? And so when they're trying to investigate it, uh, Flash ends up coming across uh, another resident of Gorilla City, Solovar, who's the uh, the chief of police there, chief of security. Mm -hmm. And then he suddenly goes into like this weird, trippy, like nightmare sequence and in that, we get, yeah, like you said, a seven-second origin of him, which is like he's standing in a room next to a bunch of chemicals and lightning flashes, and now he's the Flash. It's yes. great. And then, yeah, it also... And that, that whole sequence is very weird and trippy. Um, yeah, I guess it was... Um, designed to like throw in a bunch of comic references too. So like we see the flash go up to a, like a fun house mirror and he goes like all these weird proportions to like, we see like overweight flash and puppet flash and um, like these like multiple mirror distortion things. And then like a, a big headed one, which I remember like, Hey, I think that was from the comics. And sure enough, all four of those weird iterations are pulls from classic flash comic covers, which I thought was like a fun way to throw that in there and like have it make sense in universe, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, like this is all him going through this weird trippy dream sequence because he's being mind controlled to go out and like commit crimes, which he has no idea is happening around him. Um, But it was just fun to like actually spend a lot of time with him as a character. You know, he's normally just kind of in the background throwing out some quips. Um, But we get to see how he approaches fighting crime, which is to just be like really like showing over the top, but always in kind of a, a fun way. But he's still 
kind of effective at what he does, I guess. Yeah, I, I also enjoy because we, we see it a lot and not a lot, but we see it in JLU more. Uh, but it, it's, it's that scene that everyone loves to talk about. And it's how Flash interacts with his community. Mm hmm. And, you know, it opens on him at a burger joint. It it does feel weird in a continuity sense because it opens on him talking about capturing Grodd once before. Did it really? Yeah. He said, like, oh, yeah. And then I caught because I oh, I think I wrote it down. I was not paying um, close enough attention. I did clearly. not write it down. But, yeah, he, he talks about, like, I caught, I you know, look at me, ladies. Like, I'm the one that I'm the one that caught Grodd the other day and i'm the hero like don't you don't you guys want to give me your number <laughs> uh, I in this that. wonderful casual sense i totally miss that i mean look to be fair i can kind of understand why the girls weren't super interested like look the flash he's fun he's funny he's obviously got a rocking bod because he's a superhero and he's you know constantly doing cardio but advertising yourself as the fastest man alive is not gonna help you get a date I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, Wonder Woman makes that joke. No, Hawkgirl makes the joke later. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm not original making that joke. Everyone's done it. But, like, maybe come up with a different tagline. It might help you out a little bit. Yeah. I'm like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, and it is kind of funny, too, because, you know, he is supposed to be the, the fastest man alive. I did feel like they kind of depowered him oh, a little bit. Oh, for sure. I, I even put that because like the opening is a very long car chase. It is a good yeah. like two and a half, three minutes of a car chase. And I will say that these two episodes mostly avoided having like drawn out action sequences, I think, which has been part of the, the downside of a lot of the episodes so far. Is they just feel really padded out. This feels mm -hmm. like the only moment they're really padding out these episodes, that long car chase. Because otherwise, you know, there's a lot of storytelling that happens here. But yeah, like he's barely struggling to keep up with a van. Yeah, it's, it's maybe pushing 70, 75. Like if if that, yeah, it, it, it did seem a little bit odd. I, mean, I, I will say that like the animation does look great. Like they do a really nice job of adding like a little bit of motion blur and like extra kind of like, kinetic energy and speed to the flash so that he does appear to be moving faster than the worlds around him. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I mean, did you like, yeah, he's a blur. I mean, did you like how they animated that sequence, even if it was a little silly? I did. I, I had a gotcha moment for the animation team. Really? <laughs> um, they, they reused the same background, I think, three times in that chase. <laughs> and it's the same, like, three shops. Because, like, when he first runs out of the, the burger joint, you see, like, an apartment complex or something. And then mm -hmm. he runs by it a second time. And then the third time, that's the complex that starts to crumble when he saves the two people from the rubble. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, guys. There's more than three shops in, in Coast City. I'm so glad you were paying much closer attention to this than I was. Because you've picked up so many things. I don't so know why it stood out so much. <laughs> I, I think I'm like, because of Teen Titans Go to the Movie and because of Lego Batman, I'm just like, I'm trying to find any like joke reference they put in buildings now mm -hmm. you're just always like, looking those two for movies the, uh... did it so well yeah you're constantly looking for the easter eggs yeah and they, they just don't exist in it yet no, like no one no. cares they're all just like the most generic it's like bob's burger no that's dumb it's like bob's <laughs> diner <laughs> it's usually just like the last name of someone involved in comics writing at some point you know it's like yeah 
like O'Neill dry cleaners. Like, oh, hey, that's clearly a reference to Denny O'Neill. It's like that sort of shit. It's not anything like, it's not a joke, which is, yeah, right. what, you're, what you're looking for. <laughs> right. They, I mean, yeah, I mean, this, this is a, they're not going to waste that much time in a serialized show. No, they're not going to bother with it. Um, but yeah, they're like, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because we've been talking about how up to this point, like every episode has kind of focused on a character that's kind of given us some background. I guess War World's kind of the exception. That's just sort of like a general Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's when it story. started to break out because we had yeah. the single episodes and now we have the duos. Exactly, yeah. But I, I really like how they structure the team dynamic in this because in the first episode, it's just Flash and GL. And we mm-hmm. haven't really had that yet. It's always been like a handful of team members, like, you know, three or four over the course of the thing. No one else really makes an appearance at all in this first episode. And I kind of like that. I like they focused it on more just being like um, a buddy dynamic between the two of them. And I feel like it helps keep the story going because I feel like sometimes they have too many team members. They're trying to justify giving enough for everyone to do, which ultimately means that no one does anything substantial. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, like, you know, the story mostly revolves around the Flash and like the storyteller keeps changing. It's like first they're trying to track down the gorilla and then he goes and like goes to the nightmare sequence and he realizes that he was like out committing crime. So then he's arrested by the police and GL has to bail him out. And then they team with that earlier gorilla. And it's like the story is evolving and changing and a lot is happening rather than just like dragging things out. Or trying yeah, to you, you don't get time. the you don't get the plot until. I don't know, like 10 minutes into the episode, which is very strange for, for this kind of series. Yeah. And, and it didn't feel like those first 10 minutes were um, slow, which th- that's been my biggest complaint about watching these episodes so far is that they're just, they're slow and not a lot mm-hmm. happens. Whereas this like, Oh, like no, the storytelling was like really fast and engaging. Um, plus I th- just GL and flash have such a fun dynamic together. Like you can tell that John is constantly kind of annoyed at the flash, but also does still like him like it still is yeah. enter- amused by him in some way like he's always kind of like well, begrudgingly it, complaining but he doesn't actually like dislike him right and he's also a team player because i was i was thinking like you have the most <clears throat> serious teaming up with the most relaxed mm-hmm. and you can't like you, you can kind of trade out john and batman being the most serious members but john is like okay, I will put up with you for this mission because we have to do it together. Whereas Batman, if he was in this situation, would just be like, hey, no, fuck this. I'm going to do it by myself. You go do your thing. If you get in my way, I will take you down. Batman would just lie to the Flash to send him on some like crazy fool's errand and then he would just go figure it out himself. Yeah, well, I think that that would be it. Is Batman would like joke that like, oh, there's something in Africa you should go look at. And then the Flash just stumbles upon Gorilla City on his own. And it's like, wow, Batman, like you were, you were right about this. Shit. It's like, uh, whereas GL clearly feels like he has to kind of babysit the flash all the way through. And to be fair, he does. Cause the flash twice gets taken over by God's mind control. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, I mean, minus the, the early car chase, we talk about being depowered pretty often. And I, and I don't think they do that as much with flash or GL. Like, GL no, not really. GL only goes down when he's hit with a fucking nuclear warhead. Uh, no, that's not true. He does briefly get taken out in the first episode. It's when the second time 
the Flash is under Grodd's mind control, and like the the two of them are fighting, and Jill is trying mm-hmm. to like break free. He's just like shooting blasts at the Flash, even though he's crazy fast. Instead of maybe I don't know, making a construct of some sorts. No, uh, can't do it. Can't build constructs. Can't, can't do it's it. Not efficient. So he, he shoots a Gila shoots a beam at a um like a wall and it breaks and like a piece of like rubble falls on top of him. He he briefly gets stunned, which is then how he decides to just punch the flash in the face. To, which <laughs> to I really I really enjoyed. I honestly I liked that too. It speaks a lot about like GL's character that that's mm-hmm. ultimately what he would choose to do. And we're we're always kind of given that character a little bit of shit for not making constructs, but. Like, that is the sort of thing that John would just do. Like, at the end of the day, he's just a man of, like, precise action. He's just going to punch a guy in the face. Right. What was the quickest route from A to B? Punch in the face. Punch in the face every time. Yeah. You know, leave a little bit of the uh, the Green Lantern ring imprint on the Flash's mask. Be great. Yeah. That'd be good. He he really should. But, no, I I thought this was, like, pretty fun. And, And, you know, there's some good little little moments, little references stuck in there. Like uh, when they first come across uh, Solovar, one of the other gorillas, you know, the first thing he says is, you know, get your sticking paws off of me, which is, of course, you know, the obligatory plan of the apes reference that has to be thrown in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I enjoyed the, the second uh, when Flash is taken out of jail and he's trying to explain, I can know there was the talking monkey and he's like yes. how like don't be don't be preposterous he's like john we both have a martian's number on speed dial i think i de- i think i deserve the benefit of the doubt yeah and he's right like you know how is this any more ridiculous than everything else they've come across yeah you are literally you literally are friends with a talking man buff pig and a talking ape is is too preposterous for you <laughs> like just look at who's in the core there's a squirrel just a literal squirrel it it took me a second to realize you were referring to Kilowog when you said a yes. buff man pig. Like, <laughs> what, the, what the fuck are you talking about? Kilowog, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah, it's Kilowog. <laughs> I've just never heard him described that way. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I feel like like a talking ape would be the least crazy like Green Lantern member. Yeah, actually, that would be pretty normal yeah. <laughs> by comparison. Like, John, there's an entire sentient planet that you've worked with. Not that we know of in the DCAU. Not that we know of in the DCAU. Mogo doesn't exist yet. <laughs> Whatever. I get it. Yeah, but you're right. Like, the, the gorilla thing, like, is not that much sillier than everything else you've come across. And, and I actually think it... it was to their benefit that they made this a Flash episode, which one makes sense because I think Gorilla Grodd is traditionally a Flash villain, right? Mm-hmm. But two, I think hanging this on a character who is a little more comfortable pointing out the absurdities of things helps a little bit because it's not that... Because you're right, like, in the context of this universe, like, talking gorillas is no more ridiculous than anything else we've seen. But for an audience, you know, it is often a hallmark of, like, bad B-movie sci-fi, and so to have an episode where it's taken mostly like pretty down the line seriously, but given enough playfulness because his hangs around the flash helps a lot in terms of making the whole thing land. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I was very skeptical going in. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a silly episode. And it was, but it never was at the expense of good storytelling. Yeah. And so at the end, at the end of the episode, Coast City 
kind of vanishes off the map. Oh, yeah, because the, the, they build this reactor that basically creates a, a bubble similar to what Gorilla City is protected in. Um, it's a, I don't know, good cliffhanger. I, I enjoyed it. it, especially like after just reading the, the 90s comics where Coast City is destroyed. Mm. Like, oh, this it's is Central City. A lot more. Uh, sorry, yes. Yeah, this is Central but City. But in the comics, yeah, in the comics, it's Coast City gets destroyed. And well, it's yes. that same like crater shape. Mm hmm. And so I'm like, you know, it, it hit a little bit differently of like, oh, shit, like, you know, it's it's just gone. And now we're going to have Flash turn into Parallax. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> He'd be a very ineffective Parallax, wouldn't he? He would. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the, the nice thing they do about giving us that cliffhanger is, you know, we don't know until the second part that the reactor is creating a shield we just think it's a, like a, a bomb base that's going off that's going to encompass the city, you know, and it, it starts out by taking out Flash and GL and then eventually the whole rest of the city. And it's like, oh, it's actually like a pretty intense um, moment. It's certainly a better cliffhanger than, you know, Jean freaking out because Superman's getting shot at with a weak blaster. So, yes, I mean, the four of them, Chris, there's four of them. Sorry, with four weak blaster. <laughs> yes, thank you. So there's an episode of Powerpuff Girls. Of course there is. And I think there's, you know, five seasons of them. And I, I think it's it might have even been like the first episode. Uh, but we see, I believe it's Mojo Jojo steal like a dog gem that turns the city of Townsville into dogs. Great. And you have dog Powerpuff Girls trying to stop him with the rest of the dog city. And for some reason, I had it in my head that they were going to wake up and everyone in the city was going to be gorillas. Right. And I wanted a super fast gorilla flash <laughs> to have to go and take out a not fast gorilla grod. Well, you are you are not wrong because we are going to get an episode where they turn into gorillas because you brought this up right okay. for the show. What was the episode again? It was oh, JLU. Yeah, season two, episode six of JLU. Okay. I love that you remember the episode, but not the title. Numbers are easier to remember. <laughs> but yeah, we will get them all turning into girls at some point. But you're, you're not wrong. Like, you, you totally could have bought it if the second episode opened and all of a sudden just, like, everyone in the city is filled, you know, has become gorillas. It I would wouldn't have, loved have been. It. It would have been too far of a stretch. Um, yeah. But no, in, instead, the second part opens with the uh, the rest of the League sans Superman, realizing that Central City has disappeared. Uh, and so their investigation leads them to Gorilla City. Um, and then when Grodd launches nuclear weapons, it's up to the League to stop the missiles from destroying Gorilla City while Flash takes on Grodd. Um, and again, this was fun. And I liked that they held off bringing in the rest of the League until the second half. Um, it gave Flash and GL more to do. And then even here, you know, the rest of the league, they're on their own mission to figure out what happened. You know, so it's like first investigating Central City and realizing that there's this this weird energy field and recognizing there's a similar one out in Africa. And that takes them out to Gorilla City. Like it, it was a nice way to divide and conquer the heroes a little mm -hmm. bit and to give them their own like separate storylines rather than just putting them all in the same room together and just having them smash a bunch of shit. Right. Which Hawkgirl still does anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, because she's an expert, you know. She is a maestro is she, with that she mace. Because she tried to just fucking blow up a nuclear warhead with a mace, she and like maybe up. let's 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 find a less aggressive way to take out this bomb that can destroy everything. 
she disabled the missile with the mace. She didn't D- set yes, it off with a with a strong amount of force. <laughs> I mean, it does kind of speak to each of the characters how they handle taking out the missiles like of course mm-hmm. gl like you know being like the the military man very precise goes and like cuts a hole in the side of it and pulls at the wiring um jean just phases through it but then just lets the rest of the missile keep going <laughs> yeah i mean he takes out like i guess that's also the battery because the, the missile just like poops out afterwards okay you realize the missiles aren't battery powered right they're, they're, yes, slightly, they more, they're slightly more complicated than that nope Put in a battery and he say, go. And then they go. You know, you're right. So few people recognize that there were great advances made in terms of making nuclear missiles much more environmentally friendly. We have our yeah. range of all electric nuclear ICBMs. Yeah, made by Tesla. They're great. Oh, God, he would. He would. I mean, he does have the family friendly flamethrower. That's true. God, I do kind of want one of those, actually. Everyone wants one. They sold out so fast. <laughs> like, like uh, if I ever live in a place where there's snow and I have to shovel my driveway, I am not shoveling that thing. I am buying a fucking flamethrower. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, even if there's no snow, I still want a flamethrower. That's true. Just to have. I have the ceilings for it now. Now my you apartment do, is tall do. enough. Yeah, you're tall enough. But... Also, Cameron, let's be honest. You and I should not be interested with flamethrowers. No, no. no. <laughs> I really shouldn't be interested with fire in general. I literally. No, I was going to just... say I don't even have matches here. <laughs> I do seem to recall us once trying to make uh, was it flaming Dr Pepper shots and lighting my kitchen counter on fire. You did do that. I did do that. I'm sure I saw that video somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure we did. <laughs> I mean, I still keep a bottle of 151 just for lighting on fire purposes. Oh, I mean, yeah, you, you have to. Yeah. Also, you can't even get 151 anymore. They don't sell it. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. So we have to be really choosy about what we light on fire now. Okay. Everything. <laughs> the world's already given us a head start. We just have to finish what it's, what it's given know, us. That is true. The, the world is figuratively burning. Maybe it should just be literally burning at this point too. I mean, also yeah, it actually is. It I, also is literally burning. So it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think I. I. I'm trying to think. I don't know if if we matched yet, but there was a girl I saw when I was flipping through one of the dating apps. That in her bio it was like, I just need someone who will uh, help me roast marshmallows on this burning world that we have. And I'm like, <laughs> I like it. I can do that. I like it. It's dark. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so but, but also like speaking of of like you know semi dark moments, there there's a moment where Batman thinks that Wonder Woman has been uh, like flattened by by this nuke this disarmed nuclear warhead. Yes, uh, and he he tries to go and, and dig her out, and you have I would say two of the strongest beings in this world going and just standing at the side. She's <laughs> like, no, nah, he's got it. Like Marsh Manhunter, who can just like phase the missile out of existence, who can probably just lift it with one hand, and then Hawk Girl, who can just knock it out of the way, was like, no. Oh, and also John, who can probably tell that Diana is still alive <laughs> and perfectly fine underneath, is still like, what is this human doing? Does he not know that 
she is basically immortal. I mean, it's perfectly fine. That is what he's doing when John walks up and puts his hand on Batman's shoulder. He's not actually saying like she's gone. He's like, uh, just give it a second. She'll yeah. get out of this. <laughs> she has to sneeze. Like just let her, like let her do her yeah. thing for a second. Yo, give her a moment, take a breath. No, it, yeah. it is like a slightly silly context for that moment, but it is a really sweet moment to see him like desperately trying to save her. And then, you know, she spots the mud on his hands and um, he's, you know, embarrassed and tries to like hide it amongst his cape. And it, it's, it's a cute little moment to kind of like also establish like the, uh, you know, the will they, won't they of the two of them for the rest of the series, which is kind of yes. fun. And it is, won't they? It is. Um, I guess ultimately it's, well, the thing is we know that all of the relationships eventually don't work out because Bruce is cranky and alone by the time we see him in Batman Beyond. Yes. Yeah. But like they, they have a, uh, you know, s- some sexual tension over the rest of the series, you know? They do. Yeah. I mean, I think. It is very cute. It, it is, it is a very fun relationship to follow. It is. Yeah. It's very playful. Um, but, you know, so obviously, like, the rest of the league are out taking out these uh, these nukes, and then it leaves the Flash to just, like, take on Grodd himself. But I actually thought that they did a, a pretty good job of finding a way for the Flash to outsmart Grodd. How do you think about how they did that? Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, it, it's basically how Flash beats all of his villains. He just gets under their skin to the point where they just want to rip him in half, and they <laughs> realize they can't touch him. Yeah, he's very good at heckling his villains. He is. I mean, GL even says at one point, like, Flash, don't heckle the supervillains. <laughs> no, but I mean, that, that is definitely his greatest strength, is along with speed, he also has the power to just annoy everyone on the planet. Yeah. I mean, he, like, it does show that he is actually very effective at what he does. Like, that's part of his method is to just really annoy his villains until they get distracted and they don't notice when he's rewired their mind control helmet. Mm-hmm. Now, do you feel kind of bad for Grodd that he, like, gets his mind just, like, completely torched and becomes, like, a vegetable? Well, I mean, I know when he comes back. Yeah, I know. So, but, like, no. I feel bad. For, I feel bad for him. You know, at the at the very end, because we, we've seen over the course of the episode, like, you know, uh, other animals, you know, other um, like monkeys and apes in in cages who are there for some sort of science. And I think if we can generally assume that if they're there for science, it's not a good thing. Um, but, you know, like we're, we're kind of meant to feel sorry for those kind of animals. And then, you know, Grodd, by contrast, is smart. He's intelligent. He actually like, you know, he's a he's a villain, um, but, you know, but he at least has personality. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I feel bad. Like it's a sentient being that's like lost his mind. And now he's just like mindlessly hanging out in a cage, not eating a banana because he hates them. But he's it's just... a trap, Chris. Don't fall for the trap. <laughs> I feel bad for Grodd. Okay. Never feel bad for Grodd or Minsuamala or Ultra I mean, Humanite. <laughs> but I mean, I do love or the others <laughs> or the others. Exactly. <laughs> But I think it's also worth acknowledging something I keep meaning to do every week and forgetting is to talk about like the the voice cast. We get into this, like the supporting characters, because there's actually some, yes. some good names here. And I, I always keep forgetting to mention them. I mean, we talked at length about Eric Roberts last week, but <laughs> outside of that, um, you know, it's worth acknowledging that Grodd is voiced by Powers Booth, the great Powers Booth here. Oh, just, oh, my God. What? What a man. What a voice. What a voice for sure. 
Yeah. I mean, so he, he voices Grodd uh, all through the DCAU. Um, I guess he also voices a, a Red Tornado at one point. He does that as well. But, I mean, he's had so many, uh, you know, guest appearances in, in various shows as a voice actor. He's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, we get, we get him. We have... Uh, do, you know who, do you know who Bill Duke is? I don't. Should I? So, you know the the detective who's interrogating the Flash, right? Yes. So that that character is voiced by Bill Duke, but then also drawn to look like Bill Duke. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of all the stuff he's been in. I most remember him from Predator. He's one of the other like operatives that goes out into the jungle with uh with Arnold and Predator. Um he is Trask in X-Men the Last Stand. Um, he's, he's kind of one of those character actors. He just pops up in a lot of things here and there. But as I was watching the episode, I'm like, why does this character look so familiar? And then I realized that the reason is, is that he's actually drawn to look like his voice actor, which they don't often do. I feel like in the DCAU. So it's kind of cool that they gave him that, um, like the kind of dual role there. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we got him and then, uh, Virginia Madsen voices, Dr. Sarah Corwin, who we haven't even mentioned, who's just like. She's just there. She's she's know. just there. Like you can you can kind of tell immediately she's going to be a bad guy. Like she gives off like evil science lady vibes the moment we mm-hmm. meet her. Um, and I I definitely thought it was a little bit silly that her motivation is that she's in love with Grodd. You know, the Flash assumes that she's also been under his mind control, which is why she's been helping him. And then she's like, "No, no, you fool!" Like I loved him, and it's like. I, to me, that felt less like a commentary on the charisma on Grodd, and it felt more like a really negative commentary on like this assumption that women are susceptible to easy charm. And I was like, this is kind of stupid. Oh, I thought it was just set up for his great joke of, I don't understand internet relationships. Oh. Because I mean, this is, you know, this is early 2000s. This is the, the birth of online dating. I mean, I do kind of like the idea that Grodd and... Dr. Corbin met on eHarmony. Absolutely. Okay, Cupid. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's a little Is bit. Is there a there must be like someone must have written a story about a superhero dating site. Oh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure someone's done it at some point. If not, I'm going to I'm going to get on that. Yeah, you get on that camera. Get that fanfic. Yeah. But yeah, like like I said, I I quite liked these two. Like they didn't feel padded out. They had enough story to go around all the different characters. There weren't a lot of drawn out action sequences. Um, oh, you skipped over what I would say is the biggest voice of the, of the cast. Oh, which Solivar. Oh, David oh, right, Ogden of Steers. Yeah. Who has voiced Steers. N- numerous, numerous characters in the DCU, including Penguin, including Dr. Odium. Of course, how could we forget from your favorite episode? Hoop squad. Hell yeah. I mean, I was just going to say just from his, the rest of his. Or just like the rest uh, of his filmography. Yeah. I mean, he's Cogsworth in the original Beauty and the Beast. He's Jumba in Lilo and Stitch. He's um, Ratcliffe in, in Pocahontas. He is the villain in the Tim Allen film Jungle to Jungle. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh man, we, what a career. We, we must have talked about Jungle to Jungle at some point on this podcast, right? I'm I'm sure we did, but if you if you have more to say, you know, here here's your chance. <laughs> Look, I I haven't watched it in years. I doubt it holds up. 
Um, but I do find that movie really fun and charming, partly because, at least at that time, um, Tim Allen was not quite the problematic garbage fire that he is now. Uh, but also, is it has how it always is. It's kind of, it is how it always is. But also, it has Martin Short, and I fucking love Martin Short and everything he does. And he's fantastic in that. But also, I, I will fully acknowledge that uh, Sam Huntington, teenage Sam Huntington, not wearing a shirt was definitely part of what made me eventually realize that I was gay. <laughs> like, I, I was didn't that realize... more or less effective than <laughs> Brendan Fraser's George of the Jungle? Ooh, I mean, they're, look, they're all very, very effective. Um, yeah. It, I recognized later on, like, oh, I definitely had a crush on these characters before I realized that that's what that was. I, I, think, I think Sam held a special place in my heart because he was, like, closer to my age at the time. That's fair, yes. Which helps. But, yeah, let us, you know, n- not neglect the fact that uh, Brendan Fraser in Jungle is a Jungle is probably one of the, like, sexiest characters ever created. Mm-hmm. And in the mummy, my God, that man was gorgeous. I know. Oh God, he still is on the inside. He is. He's a he's a beautiful soul who's uh you know surprisingly deft with an f bomb. Thank you, Doom Patrol, for revealing this to us. Yes. Oh, but yeah. Um. Oh yeah. But yes, you're right. David Ogden Steers, great man. Yes, great man. Uh, so I have a question for you, Chris. Yeah. As we, as we kind of come to the end of this episode, <clears throat> um, we have now had two monkey themed episodes in the dcau both of which you <gasps> you enjoy monkey fun which do you prefer the saw- bad superman episode or the good justice league episode i will always have a soft spot in my heart for titano and monkey fun it's always. so bad i don't care i Hang on, Cameron. Who are, are you really judging me? Are you really judging me for liking one bad episode of Superman when your entire like persona is built around loving terrible content? Yes, I do. Because I have reason <laughs> on why I like terrible content. There's always there's always a backbone to my to my enjoyment. Or yeah. I feel like you just enjoy that episode out of spite because I don't enjoy it. No, I genuinely love it. I think it's 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 fun, it's charming. And I've said before that part of the reason I love it is we get to see a totally different side of Lois that we never get to see anywhere else. Normally she's just like totally like hard edged and sarcastic and you know, like uh, you know, always getting one ups like in everybody, and this is the first time we only get to see her like be, be Lana. Yeah, exactly. Be, the no, better she's not one. Be, no, she's not being Lana. She's just being, you know, it's something from her childhood. It's a softer side to Lois, and that's why I like it so much. Yes, like Lana. Plus, like, the little the, the little stuffed animal monkey that plays the music, so cute. So mm-hmm. cute. It's bad How episode. Dare. How dare you, sir? No. I... I uh, <laughs> If if you've listened to the uh, us debating with the DCAU review uh, about which are the best episodes of DCAU, I definitely made a pitch for Monkey Fun that fell on deaf ears. That is a tiny island you stand on, Chris. <laughs> that is a few grains of sand floating floating in the ocean. It's fine. It'll just be me by myself with my stuffed animal monkey. I'm perfectly yep. happy. I hope you enjoy it. I do. I love it there, actually. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts on this? Uh, I think that that pretty much covers my end. All right. Cool. Well, why don't we do uh, our bat plugs real quick? Uh, Cameron, what do you what do you got to plug this week? 
uh, I started reading a comic, Chris. You did. I what did. What did you start reading? Um, it was rec- I, I don't remember who recommended it to me, but someone did. And it just kind of like lodged itself in the back of my brain. But excuse me, Dis- or not Disney. DC has been putting out these unusual young adult comics recently, mostly revolving around Batman mm-hmm. and his gallery. Uh, and I checked one of them out, uh, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass. Okay. And it is her going to Gotham as a teenager and enrolling in high school with Poison Ivy. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I'm about halfway through it right now. And it's okay mm-hmm. so far. There's a Joker character that pops up. And like, depending on how they, depending on like the perspective they draw him at, the his look is either really cool or really dumb. Because uh, huh. for the mask, because he wears a, a masquerade mask, but it looks like he cut out like people's eyes from magazines and put them over the masquerade eye holes. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so he he looks very bizarre. Mm-hmm. But but the Harley story is at least where I'm at is is very cute and fun and it's, it's she moves to Gotham to move in with her grandmother, but no one told her that her grandma passed away, and so she like sneaks into this into her apartment and the apartment complex is owned by uh, like a drag team. This sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, and so like the basement of the apartment complex is um is a burlesque show. And so just, she just like becomes friends with all the drag queens. Uh, and then there's someone that comes to try and take over the building. And Harley's like, no, you can't do that. And so she, like her, her evil spree starts of just like, oh, no, I'm just going to burn down everything this company owns that's trying to take over, you know, my friend's house. I mean, I can respect that. You got to protect yeah. drag show. I love a drag show. It is very fun. <laughs> okay. All right. I. Would you, so far, would you say it's a recommendation? Um, not yet. Okay. Uh, but I, I texted you about another one that Amazon recommended when I ordered this. So I, I guess there's three of these books so far, because I was talking to a mm-hmm. friend, and there's there's one that follows Selena Kyle in high school. Okay. Uh, is there which one I don't... around Raven, too? Is that all this, part of the same? There is, yes. Yeah, so, so Gabriel Piccolo has two books out now. Amazing artist. I love him very, very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's I've I've based my entire phone theme when the iPhone update came out around his art because I love of course. him so much. Um, Gabriel Piccolo did a Raven one-off story maybe two years ago now. The The art is beautiful. The story is just kind of okay. Uh, but he also did a Beast Boy book that came out just a few months ago, and I, I oh, ordered cool. that as well, and I'm going to read that after the, the Harley Quinn story. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's he is a delightful illustrator. Oh, okay. I mean, that, that's kind of a cool, um, like, niche space. I feel like you could do some creative stuff in. That's kind of clever. And so Yeah. Oh, so, so the, the other one that Amazon pitched is a book called Gotham High. Uh, oh, okay. And I, I texted you about it. The reviews are horrible this book does not sound good but one of the reviews said 
it's as if the woman who wrote twilight was given property over batman <laughs> that's right and i'm like well yeah. now i fucking have to read this <laughs> i mean it's it sounds like we might, might both have to read it and then yes. talk about it at some point so if anyone out if anyone out there has read gotham high and and can <clears throat> agree with that statement please share your thoughts yeah, let us Because I will be reading it within the next two weeks. <laughs> oh, my God. That does sound ridiculous. Can't wait for your report on that, Cameron. Yes. Uh, and then just a, a plethora of, of Halloween films. But what have you been watching and listening reading? Uh, so I watched uh, this week with um, friends of the show and former guests, uh, CJ and Jonathan James. Um, we all watched together uh, over Netflix party, Boys in the Band, which is a, a new Netflix oh, movie. It's good. So it's um, it's produced by Ryan Murphy. Um, so it's like stuffed with all of you know his usual cast. Um, and the cool thing is, so it's it's a story about um, in like 1968, uh, a handful of uh, gay friends living in New York get together to celebrate uh, one person's birthday. Um, and so, you know, the cool thing is that the cast is pretty much all like out gay actors. You got Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, um, Matt Bomer, Charlie Carver, um, you know, some recognizable faces in there. Um, <clears throat> but luckily it's only produced by Ryan Murphy and neither directed or like adapted by him. So it's not like overly like sexually sadistic, like most of his shit. And it has an ending like Wonderful. most of his shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. It actually has an ending. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Cause again, he didn't write it. Um, but it, it's based off of a, a play, actually, um, by uh, uh, Mark Crowley. And it's an interesting one. Like, it's good. I, I quite enjoyed it. And, you know, I have oftentimes been critical of movie adaptations of plays that don't justify the adaptation, right? You know, like, there are some things that come off feeling just really stagey. Uh, Fences, to me, was a good example of that, where it's just like, I didn't really find it that engaging as a, a, a film. Like a, the play element of it is really good. The, the performances and the story, but it didn't feel like a movie. And, and maybe I'm giving this a bit one of a, a break because it's on Netflix. Um, but it, it expands outside of the, the apartment setting enough to kind of justify its, its adaptation a little bit. Um, but it's, it's a good story. It's, it's, it's a hard one for me to recommend to other people in a, in okay. a way. Like, so I think the, the element of it that I found most interesting was it points out how um, there can be a lot of toxicity in, in gay male friendships. Um, you know, like a lot of people would refer to it now as like, oh, you know, you're just kind of like throwing shade at each other. And sometimes that can be done in a loving way. And sometimes it can be like really malicious. And this, this movie kind of dives into that. It's a very, it's a very uniquely kind of gay male thing i feel like this idea that you know you can be really close friends with someone and you know and, and love them but also recognize like there is a mean-spirited element to your friendship it's it's really interesting so it's like i think it could be an interesting thing for someone who's not used to that kind of dynamic to watch but i don't know if they would necessarily get it they might just find that all these people are really like fucking horrible to each other <laughs> which they they are but you also are still, at least I was still able to pick up like the camaraderie and the connection between them. I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's really, it's really good. You know, the, the performances are great all the way through. Um, you know, for those who are used to only seeing Jim Parsons as Sheldon on the big bang theory, this is a nice departure 
from that. There, there are some elements that are similar, but it's still a very different character at the end of the day. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's weird. It's like, it's, I guess I am recommending it with the caveat that maybe not everyone will like it. Okay. So, so two lukewarm recommendations. this week. <laughs> Some really unsatisfying plugs this week. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll have something better for you guys next week. Hey everyone, Chris here jumping in with one more quick thing before we move on to our next segment. For the last couple months, I've been producing a family podcast called Activist You. Uh, it's a terrific show where the host, Linz Amer, speaks with kids who are youth activists in a bunch of different fields, including LGBT rights, food scarcity, racial injustice, immigration, the environment, and many more. Uh, it's an incredible project and one I've been deeply honored to be a part of. But I am reaching out not to plug the show, but to actually ask a favor with the election just weeks away, we're working on a special episode to help get people go out and vote. Even though kids can't vote, their lives and futures will be greatly impacted by this election's results, which is why we want to pass the mic on to them. We are collecting audio samples from kids all over the country to write a digital letter from kids to grownups encouraging grownups to go vote. So if you are listening to this and know a young person who cares about the upcoming election, we would love to hear from them. To leave an audio message for Dear Grownups, call our hotline at 646-504-1026 and leave a voice message starting with Dear Grownups, Dear Mom, Dear Parents, Dear Grandparents, or anyone else you really want to hear your message. Then say your name, age, and explain why, from your perspective as a kid or young person, it's so important for grownups to go vote on November 3rd. We'll be taking audio samples through October 16th to get ready to launch the episode on October 19th, just two weeks before the big day. Uh, the number again is 646-504-1026. That's 646-504-1026. You can also check the pinned tweet on the Tim Talk Twitter page for more details. Thanks so much for helping us get this important message out there, and please feel free to pass this along to anyone who might want to participate. And with that, back to the show. Um, but Cameron, you have a question for us, I believe, this week, right? I do. I do. It is, an, it is unfortunately not in the Halloween spirit as I tried to make this month being. But, you know, what am I other than a giant letdown? <laughs> uh, uh, so my question for you, Chris, is uh, one of my favorite shows that I love to bring up, especially on the podcast, is Jackie Chan Adventures. Yes. Ran for five seasons and 95 episodes overall. And I ask you, what other actor do you think deserves their own cartoon series dedicated to them? And what do you think the story should be? Okay. Oh, I didn't want to come up with a story, too. Um, I mean, it, it can be loose. Oh, and then, uh, for example, other examples for, for people who did not enjoy Jackie Chan Adventures. And, and just to see where the creative minds have been um, over the past you know, a couple decades. Mike Tyson had his own series, Mike Tyson Mysteries. Mr. T had a show a while ago. Muhammad Ali had a show in the 70s. MC Hammer had his own superhero show called Hammer Man. The Harlem Globetrotters had three separate animated series throughout their career, not including their time on Scooby-Doo. Mary-Kate and Ashley had an animated series. One of my favorites, Little Bush, had an animated series. Uh, another one I brought up a handful of time, Class of 3000, Andre 2000's animated show was wonderful. Right. Yeah, and then, of a- course, I would be nothing if I didn't bring up the most important Hi Hi Puffy Yami Yumi show, 
made for the girls who sang the Teen Titans theme song. <laughs> Uh, uh, of course how ridiculous would it be to not mention that um yes but yeah so th- there is a history of this we haven't had one i guess i feel like what tyson's probably the the most recent one so we haven't had one yeah in, that in, was in, like 2014 2015 yeah in a while so i was like i was trying to think who has like enough cultural recognition around their own persona to build something out right because that's ultimately you need you need to have uh, like a celebrity who has enough um, cultural clout just as a person beyond the, uh, the specific roles. I feel like the most obvious one is Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I weirdly, I didn't even think about that. That is and, the most obvious one. And I feel like honestly, the, the, what I would like to see if they were to do that version is I would love to see, um, it be sort of like, a meta take on entourage. So the, the show is about him being the hardest working man in Hollywood. And then he's just like, like ballers. Yeah. But like in ballers, he's an agent. It's a very different thing. That Um, is true. I forgot about that. And I refuse to watch that show. Um, but this would be more about like the fact that like every episode sees him like on some new set or working on some new project and like just doing it all, all the time, which is also the sort of like, definitely like ego fluff thing that he would probably want to do anyways, but bring like oh, just, yeah. just enough like wry meta humor to it to make it like fun and, and goofy. So I, I would love to see that. Um, to be honest, I'm kind of surprised RuPaul doesn't have an animated series at this point. Oh yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> like it, I think it would have to be something other than um, like drag race animated that that could be kind of fun, but that, that I feel like that doesn't really quite work because the whole point I of mean, like, they could make a great superhero show. I mean, they, oh wait, like, they did. Every outfit is a different persona. Oh, they no, did. Dang they it, they did. They they did. They had, there was a drag superhero cartoon on Netflix. I don't think RuPaul was a character in it. I might be mistaken. Um, if she's not in that or he is not in that, then um, I would say that would be a fun one to do. So. And then the, okay. the last one I had, and I have no reason for this other than I feel like he would have a lot of fun doing it, is I would love to see a show around James McAvoy. I don't know what the plot would be. That's no idea. One. I just feel like he would love having his own animated series because he is like a total nerd at heart. Okay, that's interesting because I have, I have one very close to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, when, I, when I was thinking about this, like I, I love the Jackie Chan show, Jackie Chan Adventures, because it's not really about him because like in the, in the show, his, his character is an archeologist mm-hmm. who just also happens to be really good at Kung Fu. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so with that premise, uh, my first thought was Keanu Reeves, ah. but I'm like, mm, no, like he, he's, he's busy enough right now. Uh, and, and I think we've even talked about this, uh, this woman, I think it might now just be a little too old for, for this role in a live action, but having a Charlize Theron as an Indiana Jones character, that'd be fun. Would be yeah. so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have, I have two very weird out of left field ideas. Uh, Taika Waititi <laughs> as a school bus driver, helping kids solve their problems. I'm here for it. Yes. Uh, and then my favorite one, which I know you'll back me on this, similar to your James McAvoy, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen operating a private, a private eye firm out of an old community theater. <laughs> yep. 
I would 100% watch that. Yes. There we go. We can have James McAvoy guest as himself. He he'll be he'll be their front desk person. Exactly. Yes. And literally every time someone walks in, they're like, "Wait, a minute, aren't you James McAvoy?" Yeah. It's like I'm I'm not allowed to talk unless they give me permission. <laughs> I think part of it too is just that I love McAvoy's natural accent and we don't often get it. So, right. Just, uh, and I, I would, I would love that to be the joke is, is like, he just worships these two guys so much that yeah. he'll just do whatever they say. And they're just yes. huge assholes to him and only him. <laughs> they're like the nicest like, men uh, on the planet. James, James, use, use your, use your real accent. And he switches to American. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. He's just like their their right hand man. He has to do everything for them, like drive the car, man the the front of the store, clean, cook. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would actually. Yes, you're absolutely right. I would love it if uh, there was an animated series where James McAvoy, the real James McAvoy, was a butler <laughs> to Patrick <laughs> but Stewart. Only and Ian to Patrick McKellen. Stewart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh that could be yeah like he doesn't care at all about ian mckellen he's just there for for patrick stewart he's just there to support Stu. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all so right yeah. i i just want to be you <laughs> you'll never be me yep i'm here for it mm -hmm. someone please make this yes uh but yeah let us know your uh if there's any other celebrity i'm you know i'm sure there's a ton that we missed I mean, even just talking before, I think a Ben Schwartz animated show would be adorable. Oh, yeah. yeah, he can uh, do it all. Him and Thomas Middleditch making their own animated series together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, if you uh, guys have some suggestions, uh, yeah, do let us know. Um, and so along those lines, we got a, a few quick um, notes from friends. So we oh, had a, a very critical message from um, James Strecker of the Watchtower Database. Uh, asking us what uh -oh. order we're watching Justice League in, because apparently the order on DC Universe, which corresponds to the order I've been going off of, off of the uh, um, like the DC Wiki page, is wrong. So, well, James, you missed your <laughs> chance to tell us this earlier. We've already pre-recorded all of our episodes for the next year and a half. Uh, so after the Enemy Below, we should have in fact watched. Injustice for all um, when Lex Luthor forms the injustice gang because we need to have seen the injustice gangs origin before we hit the episode fury, which is what we would normally have watched next. So basically what it means is that uh, next week we're going to be going slightly out of order or slightly in order, I suppose, and watching injustice for all. And then we'll be watching fury. So uh, thank you, James, for pointing out that once again, we were idiots. Uh, hey, you... hold, hold on hold on we were doing it by the books <laughs> the dc universe app is an idiot i mean we shouldn't know enough to know when dc universe is wrong no that's, no. that's not what we're here but, for but we we don't at the end of the day because like i said idiots so yes uh yes so thanks for james for letting us know and then uh, we had a message from um paul hill who does amazing artwork. We've plugged his stuff a few times. Um, yes. But he said, uh, hey, Chris Cameron, uh, as I write this, I've just finished listening to the JL Aquaman episode. Uh, so he's uh, catching up a little bit here. Um, but he thought this would be a good note from friends. Uh, so for him, uh, Deadshot was the most interesting part of those episodes, namely because he was voiced by Michael Rosenbaum doing an impression of Christopher Walken, uh, which is always fantastic. 
Um, and also it was a character he had never seen before in the DCAU. Um, he was also wondering if we knew why Bruce Tim chose uh, that version of Aquaman and Orm. Um, going Orm rather than Ocean Master, which was basically because Ocean Master is kind of a joke, especially given the name. Um, but he was also wondering if we knew the comic book origin of Aquaman's hook hand. Did you know what that was? Did you look it up? The the actual hook or how he lost his hand? How he lost his hand. Because I, I think I think I talked about it. Maybe I talked about it off air. Isn't it eaten by piranhas? Because someone takes his power of oh, mind control. Oh, that's right. I, I forget these episodes as soon as we record them. I guess we did talk about it. Yeah, that uh, it was the, the villain Chir- Chirbidus. Char- Charbidus? Charbidus. Chir- okay. Chir- Chir- Chirbidus. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, someone takes Aquaman's power <laughs> of... Because I said mind control, and you said it's not mind control. It's high suggestion. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. When, it's when friendly. talking to fish. Aquaman has the power of friendly suggestion when it comes to aquatic creatures. Of of fish guilt. Yes. It's like, I made sure you didn't get eaten, so you have to help me now. But when Chirbidus does it, it's mind control, because then it's mean, because he uses it to take Aquaman's hand. Yes. Um, Yeah, and then it's eaten by piranhas, because then I gave my whole piranha fact that piranhas don't actually eat moving things or living things oh, except for goldfish that's right and i've i've been i'll plug it when i'm done probably plug it when i'm done but i've been playing the the last of the um tomb raider games the t- reboot of tomb raider games and Ooh. you have to deal with like piranhas in it and i knew that fact i was playing the game and i was really upset that the piranhas keep trying to eat me because they shouldn't <laughs> they shouldn't try to eat me that's ridiculous um but so paul was wondering though uh who did it better dcau or comics in terms of taking out aquaman's hand Oh, DCAU. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely agree. I, yeah. that, that was the redeeming factor of that episode. The one redeeming factor of that episode was that great moment when he takes his own hand out. Yeah, I don't really care about Chirb... Chirbidus. Yeah. Chirby-Worby. Chirby-Worby. Uh, but Paul also had a, a recommendation for a gruesome death, a gruesome comic death. Um, have Ooh. you read any of Invincible, the the Robert Kirkman I, I have, superhero I have comic? not, but I, I have... Oh, God, probably the first... 12 issues on my shelf okay i i've been meaning i think i read the first two okay and then yeah something got in the way but yeah after i read beast boy i'm gonna finally get through those because i've i've heard good things and i know we're getting um an animated series on amazon based on those characters soon which looks pretty good um yes. but paul recommended uh, a character death in the invincible comic so there's the the character powerplex who seems oh, wait, to have... hold on, i don't want wait if it's a spoiler no, go ahead. I don't care. Okay, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Powerplex has um, seems like some sort of like electrical powers, basically, and mm-hmm. he accidentally like fries and melts his own wife and son with his powers. Oh shit! Yeah, it's it's very pretty, very Herculean. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. They look like um, like all crispy and stuff. So, uh, no. So, thanks, Paul, for writing in and for uh, those suggestions. And yeah, that is a pretty gruesome comic death my god yeah comics are fucked up man comics are very fucked up yeah uh and then we had maybe, one maybe last that's n- the problem maybe they I, were right in the 60s yeah maybe it should have been light and fun and fluffy instead of horribly depressing yeah um, and then we had one more note which was from uh benjamin david over at above and batman beyond who pointed out to us that we missed a coppola when we were running through our list of coppolas how i put that on you that that is your fault <laughs> This is your territory. I I tragically forgot to mention the great uh, Talia Shire 
who is, I believe, Coppola's um, niece, but also uh, the mother of Jason Schwartzman. Um, oh, okay. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, she is most famous for playing um, Adrian in the Rocky movies, amongst many other oh, great roles. I didn't know so, that was a, a Coppola. Yeah, That's she's a great. Coppola. So there's, just, mm-hmm. there's so many goddamn Coppolas. Can't escape them. So, Can't. Yeah, but uh, thank you, James, Paul, and Benjamin for writing in. Uh, if you guys have some, you know, thoughts on our episodes this week, or if you have suggestions for animated TV shows based off celebrities, we would love to hear them. You can find us at Tim Tuck Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yes, yes, yes. And then yes. I... You, <laughs> you say four or three. What? Instagram, Twitter... You say four, and I only give you three yeses. I need to give you four yeses. That's, give me a each ye- of them. yes. All of the yeses. I need all of them. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Great. Got it. Thank you, Cameron. <laughs> uh, and you can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yes, and you can find, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. If you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. <sighs> Chris, guess how many Inktober drawings I've done? One. Two. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, you beat your own odds. Yes, neither of them are posted. I'll post them <laughs> eventually. Well, if you want to see Cameron's attempts at Inktober, you can find him there. Uh, yes. But thank you as listening for always. Like I said, we'll be back next week with uh, the Injustice Gang. So we can get that origin before moving on to Fury the week after. Wonderful. Um, yeah, but thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, guys. Uh, bye. Ba 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 